Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'll be your host today, as always. And also, as always, I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, the birthday boy. What's going on, brother? Not much, man. Turning 30. Just did. So I got three decades under my belt. It's kind of cool. Yeah, you, know, you know what they say about 30? It's the new 20? I, I think so. 40 I think, is the new I think somebody and... said that. I think somebody somewhere said that. So we're going to run with that. I'm sure they said it at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everybody turning 30 has probably said it at some point. So, um, But no, it, it was a fun weekend. Very laid back. Got to golf a lot. I did 27 holes. I branded that almost 30 for 30. And then um, got some cool gifts from the fam. Had dinner with the parents. And uh, this weekend we're gearing up for a barbecue because uh, I believe you and our sister will both be up here. So that'll be fun. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to coming home. Uh, hopefully Cleveland is still standing after uh, these next couple of days and downtown um, will be interesting to watch. It's a little bit out of our realm of Cleveland sports, but uh, all eyes are on Cleveland right now for sure. Well, they're holding it in the queue, so it is a sports arena. So I guess that would fall under our purview. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I guess so. Well, <laughs> Anyway, we we are here to talk about Cleveland sports, and you know we are officially in the uh, dog days of sports summer, where it's basically MLB or bust if you want to get your sports fix. And thankfully for us and for sports fans in Cleveland, we have a really good team. Uh, you know, Cleveland Indians are at, in the first uh, of the AL Central, uh, six and a half game lead over the Detroit Tigers. They had three representatives in the all-star game, Francisco Lindor, Danny Salazar, who didn't play, and Corey Kluber, who uh, we were both kind of chuckling about uh, before the start of it. He got the win <laughs> during the all-star game for the, his one inning appearance in the second inning. Um, so, yeah, the the Tribe is riding high, uh, second-best record in the American League. Um, heading into the end of July, we are approaching the trade deadline, so – you know, it's it's really time to assess where the trap stands, and that's what we're going to to do today. Uh, and, and so, Chris, uh, what do you think the Indians' approach should be uh, as August first uh, approaches and that trade deadline looms? Well, it, it's obvious they are buyers. When you have the best win percentage in the American League, and you're one behind in the win column for the best for the most wins in the American League trailing Texas Baltimore also right there in the hunt at 53 and 37 the Indians 54 and 37 the Texas Rangers 55 and 38 so the Indians have the edge on the Rangers by win percentage but you're right there in the thick of things when you're fighting for the number one seed in your league you are clearly looking to buy and looking to make a run at it and I would fully expect the Cleveland Indians to do something at the trade deadline how significant I don't know because Cleveland Indians traditionally are a very conservative team they don't make a lot of big splash now so, now, now they can't do it in free agency because of the financial constraints they're, they're never going to be the team to sign the guy to a 200 million dollar contract out of nowhere that's just not really feasible with their economics but they have been savvy at the trade deadline before, most notably uh, Drew Pomerantz and uh, Alex White for 
um, Ubaldo Jimenez, which ultimately got the Indians in the playoffs in 2013. 2007, they were a little conservative. That was the last time they uh, won the division and went to the ALCS. Uh, so they were a little conservative in just acquiring Kenny Lofton, uh, which was a nostalgia trade, but not a hugely impactful trade as far as their playoff hopes go. This well, time he did, around, I mean, he did contribute in that playoff run. Oh, I mean, he no, no, was a starter. I, you and I saw him hit a home run against the Red Sox for that win. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt he contributed. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, I mean, you know, Kenny Lofton. I mean, it's not like you're trading for Troy Tulowitzki at last year's trade deadline. That's what I'm getting at here. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a solid move, but it wasn't like a a splash. I think the Indians this time around need to make a big move. I really think they've got the prospects down in the minors to really go out there and get some of these guys that are being floated and I'm sure we'll talk about them in a bit but but the overview for me is I think this Indians team needs to loosen the cuffs just a little bit be a little bit more aggressive on this market because I mean you're looking at a team that could legitimately contend for the World Series with the rotation that they have okay so um I, I agree with all that. Uh, obviously, w- with the rotation, barring good health, uh, approaching the trade deadline, that's not going to be an area of need. What? Who? Who are you looking at? What? What is your big move? Well, I, I think when you look at the Cleveland Indians, they have two areas of need that jump right off the page. First, let's just get to it: catcher, um, Jan Gomes. It just came out that he is going to miss at least a month up to eight weeks if it's on the long half of that return table you're looking at september to mid-september at the most with an ac joint injury and young gums has been so awful at the plate uh it, it's barely even noticeable that he's on the dl certainly i mean i think it might you might notice his defense a little bit because i don't think that's been lacking but you're right at the plate it's been a year to forget for Jan Gomes. Let's just put it that way. So I think the tribe was already in the market for a catcher. Having Jan Gomes get hurt just accelerates that need because you're essentially trotting out two backup catchers. I think they need to go out and make a significant move. And the guy I want is Jonathan Lucroy of Milwaukee. Yes, he's going to be pricey because he's not just a good catcher. He is a bat. And so it addresses two needs for the tribe because I do think they need an insurance bat as well if they were to snag Lucroy you could put him in the fifth spot in this order right behind Napoli he'd be a significant jolt to the offense a huge improvement over what you were getting out of the catcher position before and he's solid behind the dish so I think that should be the guy that they go after hardcore and yeah, it's going to cost a little bit. You're going to feel it in the minors a little bit. You're probably going to have to give two prospects away, one of them a, a pretty significant one. But they got the guys to do it, and I really think that Lucroy would be the perfect fit at this trade deadline. Yeah, uh, I, you know, there is an area need at catcher. Absolutely agree with it. And John Lucroy is probably the the best available catcher heading into the deadline. Uh, the Brewers obviously not. In the playoff picture, Lacroix is what a little bit north of thirty at this point. He's, he is exactly thirty and uh, has a team option for next year, so uh, kind of an expiring contract and, and would be a rental because you know Young Gomes is under team control until twenty twenty one. Heading into next year, even in two years, you know Gomes will be 
the tribe's catcher unless you know this injury seriously derails him so you're looking at you're, you want to target a rental and, and Jonathan LaCroix definitely fits that uh, is a huge offensive upgrade uh in, in terms of what Gomes has been bringing to the table this year you know hitting over 300 Gomes was sitting at 160 uh yeah I I, I would all be for that Apparently the the Brewers are being very stingy uh, in terms of fielding offers with that, and even today, uh, you know, Paul Paul Hoynes said that the Indians are, are pretty reluctant to pursue Jonathan Lacroix. But it definitely makes sense on paper. They're all in right now to win. Um, getting him would be a great move for the Tribe. Uh, I'm thinking a, a little bit more realistically, a guy like Nick Hunley from the Colorado Rockies would would be an adequate replacement. Um, a 252 average, uh, you know, he's not not gonna overwhelm you with the offensive production, but you know, at this point, again, anything is better than Gomes. And Hunley is a is a is a very good defensive catcher, and I think that's what the tribe is valuing a little bit more at this point. With that solid rotation, with that great infield, they want a guy who can start every day and who they're comfortable. Uh, you know, kind of guiding their pitchers through the game. And I think Nick Hunley would, would, would fit that. He's 32 on another expiring deal, and, and the Rockies uh, aren't uh, uh, dwelling at the bottom, uh, but they certainly are, are under 500 and we are going to start shedding some pieces. So I think that's a move that, that definitely makes sense. Um, other than adding catcher, though, for me, I Chris, I am kind of inclined uh, for the Tribe. Yeah, go out and get, get your, you know uh, – required bullpen arm that that every contender grabs at the trade deadline certainly certainly do that but other than that i think the the biggest boost to this tribe team is a rehabbing michael brantley who who is undergoing that rehab assignment as we speak yeah michael brantley is definitely the wild card and only the cleveland indians can answer those kind of questions because you know they're inside they've seen him rehab and everything the only thing that worries me about michael brantley is that he tried to come back from the injury once, and he had a setback. And now we're looking at about this sort of another six-week timetable. If he comes back again, will he have another setback? Are we going to get a good Michael Brantley, or is he going to ha- Is that injury just going to nag him all year long? I think that's the biggest question mark right now with the Indian season. But if they get Michael Brantley and upgrade at catcher... Um, yeah, I definitely think that could inject some a little more life into what what is a competent offense. I, I don't think this offense is going to blow anyone off the mound like some of the other ones out there, but it's become competent enough that it will supplement great defense and great starting pitching, which is the strength of this Cleveland Indians team. The bullpen, I agree, is really solid because I think Shaw is turning things around. You know, you got Cody Allen and you've got Dan Otero, a nice back end bridge uh, to the ninth. I do think they need to go out and get a left-handed specialist because the only problem with the Indians pitching is that it's all right-handed guys. They don't have a reliable lefty out of the pen. I have no problem with the rotation being all righties, but you do want to mix it up and get a lefty in there. Uh, You have that option out of the pen. So I do think they should target a left-handed guy. I know this guy currently is injured. But I think Sean Doolittle is an intriguing option out of Oakland. He lost the closer's job. He's a solid setup man. He has shoulder problems. He missed a lot of 2015 with a shoulder issue. This year, uh, you know, on the DL again. 
I think maybe those injuries could bring his price down a little bit and the Indians could maybe get him without paying too much. And at this point, like you said, the, the bullpen help to me, I believe, is a little bit more of a luxury. I think they should address it, but I don't think they should break the bank for it. I think the getting another bat into that lineup, to me, is the most important thing because I do think they need an insurance bat because Santana and Napoli have been great. But if they could get one more guy in the middle of that order, and I know Santana bats lead off sometimes, but I, I consider him more of a, a, a power middle-of-the-order bat. If they can get one more guy in the middle of that order, like Jonathan Lucroy or maybe somebody else, I think that moves the needle on the offense to the point where it goes from a, a, a competent one to an above-average solid one. And that starts to distance themselves as maybe the front runners in the American League. Because, Bob, I'm telling you, man, it's been 15 years since the uh, 90s dynasty ended in 2001. They've only been to the playoffs twice. And 07 felt a little bit different than 13, even if they won that wild card game in 13. I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to go to the World Series. In 07, there were World Series expectations. They played it safe at the trade deadline. I'm not criticizing them for doing that because they were up 3-1 against Boston. I don't think they needed to make a trade then. But this year, I do think, I mean, you, you look at this team, who knows how long this window is going to be. I, I mean, a team like Cleveland, I don't think you can bank on consistent contention just with the way it's been run. Maybe that's changing. Maybe guys are developing. Maybe, maybe that's going to open up. But I think right now, I'm willing to trade a few prospects to get a big piece to help increase their chances of doing something special this year. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at other kind of indie darlings of the American League, you got the Rays, the Astros uh, recently, uh, the Athletics, the Twins, you know, these teams that don't spend a whole lot, but they do make the playoffs. Uh, they, they're they either boom or bust. And I think that that is, you know, the Cle- Cleveland is right there with them and that, you know, their windows are, are very small and you have a season where everything is clicking which is what a team like this needs. Everything needs to work in your favor. If one thing goes wrong, it's a bad season. So everything is working. You have to you have to go on. You have to supplement it. I, I definitely agree with you. Offense is the key need or the key area that they should target. Should they upgrade? Uh, we we already talked about catcher. You know the outfield situation is very uh, crowded. In, 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 a, in a good way you know Michael Brantley is on his way back uh, Lonnie has stepped up his game Tyler Naquin has been a surprise and then you got guys like Rajay Davis Jose Ramirez and even um, Almonte is back from his suspension so there are you know tons of outfielders I think a lot of the names the big names that are available out there uh, probably Jay Bruce probably Carlos Beltran uh, it would be very intriguing if they actually are in talks to add one of those guys more realistically though i think third base could also be a area of improvement juan yuri bay hasn't exactly been uh the the best bat in that rotation he still provides really good defense and i think with the twins uh in the basement as they are trevor ploof might be a, a guy that they could target at a, at a very good price um he, he he plays third base he's even uh, under contract for another year so he could play that next year at, at an affordable he's still under arbitration uh had 22 home runs last year um 
you know, is hitting 250 this year. The home runs are a little bit down, but that that's another guy they could target. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Offense is the area of need. Hopefully they add somebody that uh, has some kind of impact because I, I do think they're going to go out and get some bullpen arms. They're not going to go to the Yankees and, and, and grab one of those guys in the back end. But yeah, Sean Doolittle is a great idea, you know, has that closer experience, uh, can get them at him at a bargain price, you know. They got uh, Repchinsky a couple of years ago for next to nothing, and he turned out to be, you know, their shutdown lefty specialist. Uh, they they certainly can target a couple guys. I'm not going to get excited for that move. I think they absolutely uh, should be required to get uh, a guy in the bullpen. It's going to be the bat that they add if they add anybody that that will impress me. Another name I'm going to throw out there because because you raised an interesting point that that about the outfield being crowded I don't really want to knock Tyler Naquin out of this outfield I think the odd man out would be Rajay Davis or Lonnie Chisenhall if Michael Brantley comes back and then if they were to trade for a guy like Josh Reddick or someone like that who can really only be in the outfield might lock Lonnie out too a guy I'm going to throw out there is Danny Valencia and I hope I pronounced his name right you know the A's have just said that they're going to cut his playing time back or it's been reported that they're going to do that to look at some of their younger players, which means he's the odd man out. He can play third and the outfield, so he's a little versatile, and he is a very good bat. 304 average, 12 home runs, 33 RBIs. You can stick him in this lineup, and he's going to help you in ways that you need him to. But I also like the fact that he's not limited to just playing in the outfield. You can address that third base need with Valencia if Michael Brantley comes back and you want to keep you know, Lonnie and Naquin and Davis in on a more regular basis. They can kind of rotate around. So I like guys who have versatility and a bit bit of pop in their bat. So he is a guy who I'd be intrigued in. Hey, if you're going to call about Sean Doolittle, maybe you can do a two-for-one, hey? Right? <laughs> Come on. That'd be nice. The A's do have a history of just kind of giving away players at times. <laughs> see see Josh Donaldson trade. and uh, <laughs> But they, they also do you know unload their players just about every other year. Yeah, Danny Valencia is a... Uh, intriguing name as well uh is 31 uh is only getting paid about three million dollars this year and is having a really good year that that would be an intriguing piece i imagine uh with the a's announcing basically that yes he is the odd man out uh obviously he is available at the deadline they're gonna get a lot of offers that might price the tribe out but uh it'll be interesting to to see if they target him as well you know i I did mention trevor plouffe and he also can play the outfield as well yeah, I do. I like that. I like guys who can play multiple positions. Now, at the end of the day, if you're going to get a guy who is a super bat at a discounted price, it doesn't matter what position he plays, really. I mean, you'll find room for, sure. for him. Uh, except maybe first base, because I don't think you want to take Santana or Napoli out of the lineup in that first base DH combo. But but the fact of the matter is, you know, I think third in the outfield you know, all of these guys are really solid, um, except maybe Ramirez. You might want to keep his bat in the lineup regularly. But all these guys are really solid, but but they're not immune to being bumped down if a bigger bat comes along. And and, I, and look, it's not like these guys who get squeezed out aren't going to see the field. I mean, Terry Francona loves guys who play a lot of positions. He mixes things up. He gets people in the lineup. And depth can only help you come October because you know injuries can happen 
who knows what could happen. And so at the end of the day, I think the Indians really need to look at this team as a team that wins now. Because you mentioned a lot of the other darlings. One right now, Kansas City Royals. Last two years, they've been phenomenal. They're 46 and 45, eight games out of first. I mean, you know, after 2014, they lost a lot, and we thought, okay, the magic's over. They will come back and win the World Series, lose Johnny Cueto, lose a little more, and it's like, okay, maybe they found something. And now the magic might be ending at 46 and 45. So, and, and to be fair to the Royals, they've had a ton of injuries too. So, but but that's the point. When you're a small market team, you know, the margin for error is so thin. The Cleveland Indians are definitely in that category. They have got to push the chips in. You know, I'm willing to sacrifice some of these prospects, and I know fans are attached to some of them, especially here in Akron, because they're seeing um, some of these guys play on a regular basis. Most notably, Bradley Zimmer and Clint Frazier. I'm not saying trade them. I mean, I'd have to get a really good player to trade either of them because I think they're the top two. But guy like Mike Clevenger, TJ House, even Sean Mormondo or Cody Anderson, Brady Aiken, guys like that, I mean, at the end of the day, if it means getting a World Series, pay the price. No, yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, that that Kansas City roster, it's surprising that that, uh, they're – they've struggled so much you know Yolanda Ventura you thought that he would be the uh the ace and he almost has a a five ERA at this point very interesting and speaking of those Royals uh you and I wanted to have a kind of a quick conversation uh yeah they're hovering right at 500 eight games out of the leader division uh in third place and the Detroit Tigers are actually six and a half games out so they are not within striking distance but they're close both of these teams are close and with the deadline approaching uh, both stand to upgrade you know the royals added johnny cueto uh, one of the biggest arms available on the market last year the tigers added david price last year uh or was that two years ago that was two years ago i believe they traded him to toronto last year that was toronto that got david price oh yeah yeah well the tigers have made lots of moves in the past most notably david price two years ago um you know they're not shy of uh, of adding a big name especially the tigers who you know their window is closing with verlander martinez uh, cabrera all getting up there in age uh we, we just wanted to pose the question who are you scared of more uh heading into august and heading into the the end of the season the postseason race well, this is also an interesting question because we're about to start three games with the Royals here this week, so I hope Kansas City doesn't take this too personally, but despite the 11-1 record, I am still more worried about Detroit because the Tigers traditionally have had the Cleveland Indians number. They have been the big boy in this division up until the last two years when Kansas City has kind of had this little run. But make no mistake, these guys are scary. They're they're starting to play a lot better here. They started to turn the corner around June. And I know they lost the first 11, but the, the one loss was a big one. And maybe that turned them on a little bit. And there is a bit of a rivalry factor between the Indians and the Tigers. It's a natural Ohio, Ohio, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, Cleveland, Detroit. There's a natural rivalry there. So I'm always scared of a team that that has a little extra something to play for, extra motivation to spoil you. Then a team like Kansas City that, despite being the back-to-back American League champions, I don't feel like there's a rivalry with the Royals. I feel that with Detroit. Detroit is playing better. 
I think I am more scared of the Detroit Tigers, despite the 11-1 record, than I am the Royals down the stretch. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm more scared of the Tigers, not because of kind of the, the narrative or the history or, or the rivalries that we're talking about. It's just that the Tigers have are, are all in. You know, the Royals are built, you know, two straight AL pennants. They're having what is considered a down year, but they're still, you know, above 500 at this point. They still have a, a core that is intact. Uh, if they miss the playoffs, you know, they still have a large window open. They, they've kind of ascended to uh, an established roster and, and probably have their eyes on multiple playoff appearances. You know, you don't know how many more years the Tigers have, and they are kind of operating with that, you know, you only live once mentality uh, that, that the Indians should have, but they also have the money and the the assets to go out and get somebody like say jay bruce or carlos beltran to replace jd martinez who's on the dl right now or go out and get one of those one of the starting pitchers the few that are available at, coming into this deadline uh, and supplement that rotation so yeah i i am much more scared of the tigers because i do think that they are going to add because their their window is much more shorter than the royals there's not a sense of urgency with the royals to you know, go all in for this postseason if it's just not working out because of the injuries, because of some of those, some of the guys you you thought you could rely on in that rotation, they weren't ready to take that next step and be the ace. You know, you can you can punt for next year and you know kind of rebuild a little bit and retool for that postseason run. Tigers don't have that luxury. That makes them all the more scary. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the tribe's record is against either. Eleven uh, against the Tigers, they've played the Royals really well uh, as well. But yeah, I, I'm definitely more scared. More scared of the scared of the scared of the time. Funny you should mention those pitchers getting traded, Bob. Can you believe that Drew Pomerantz could arguably be the best pitcher traded at this deadline? I mean, this kind of came out of nowhere. And, and the reason I bring this up is because, as as Cleveland fans know, Drew Pomerantz was included in that Ubaldo Jimenez trade, and 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 really, like he has done nothing before this year. And and I picked him off off our fantasy waivers. And if you, I was joking the other day, if you had told me that Drew Pomerantz would be my best fantasy pitcher before this season, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm in last place. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing that that, that uh, Drew Pomerantz has had the year that he's had. He's definitely been one of the surprises, um, and, and he's going to Boston, who is trying to make the playoffs. I just kind of wanted to bring that up while it was on my mind, because I just thought it was just kind of funny from a Cleveland perspective that that the one of our prized prospects is finally, the lights clicked. Yeah, it, uh, very surprising that he was, you know, an all-star. That he has a 2.47 ERA right now, which is one of the best in the majors. Um, all that being said, you know, we probably are thinking like maybe maybe we should have held on to him. And f- for me, at least, uh, 2016 at age 27 is way too long to you know come of age when you're the cleveland indians and investing a first round a high first round draft pick on a guy like drew pomerantz you're able to leverage him into ubaldo who had a who who led the team into that postseason uh and you had control of him for a a couple years uh for that run um it it was worth it you know making that trade I, i i don't think that we should have any regrets and i think you know the change of scenery moving around obviously worked for Pomerantz I don't know if being tabbed as the go-to ace in Cleveland uh would have been his thing so uh don't 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 regret it but it like you said it is kind of crazy that now he's popped up and has emerged as 
you know, the first pitcher to be moved, moved on the market and possibly uh, the best one as well. Yeah, I'm not regretting the trade at all. You raised very good points there. I mean, look, the guy was in Colorado, Oakland. He was moved to a reliever's role. I mean, it's been five years. There's no guarantee anything would work out in the Cleveland Indians. And honestly, the Indians probably would have cut bait with him well before 2016. I mean, five years is an eternity in baseball. San Diego was his third different team since being traded. So, I mean... Uh, yeah, let's just, you know, any Indians fan who's just saying, oh, well, could have had Pomeranz. I mean, come on, man. that That's stretching. Good for him for turning his career around, but I don't think Cleveland fans should uh, be crying over that one at all. Yeah, de- definitely not. And w- with him off the market going to Boston, you know, you basically have all five of the Tampa Bay Rays pitchers available and maybe a couple guys on the A's. Other than that, it's it's not a very hot market for starting pitchers. I don't think we're going to see guys like you know Johnny Cueto and Cole Hamels last year getting moved. It's going to be a lot more focused on offense, relievers, uh, and just kind of second or third tier starting pitching. All right, so just to wrap this up, Bob, do you think the Indians will make a significant move at the trade deadline, like just beyond getting a you know bench player or a bullpen guy? Do you think they'll actually move some move some pieces? No, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I just don't think they have the gumption to do it. I think they will add a catcher that will be our presumptive starting catcher just kind of by default. But other than that, uh, I, I don't really anticipate them making any big moves. Yeah, I think the biggest move I could see is them getting a guy like Valencia. Valencia, excuse me. I think that's the ceiling for them. I'd be very surprised if they moved a guy like Zimmer or Frazier to get a really big bat. Or um, I could see them maybe moving a pitcher down there because they have so many of them. Or maybe a, a prospect that's that's kind of a tier below the Zimmer or, and the Frazier level. But I don't think they're going to make a huge splash. I agree with you. I think they'll get it. I think they'll address catcher because I think they need a, a, a an everyday starter. And I think they will address the bullpen, but I think they're going to go for more of these value moves than the big splash. Yeah, I, I I think that's just kind of their mo and really all that they're willing to to give up heading into this trade deadline. So we'll see. Uh, you know, they're they're good enough uh, this season that you know even if they don't make a move, they're still the the favorite right now to to win the AL Central. So uh, don't be disappointed if they don't add jay bruce or somebody like that and and look last year all four teams in the final four made a significant move and that's that's fine and dandy but let's not forget a couple years back the oakland a's made too many moves like they traded for those two cubs pitchers samarja and a hamill and then they traded cespedes for lester and everyone thought oh my gosh they're invincible they gave up too much once they traded cespedes their offense kind of fell down so so there is such a thing as stretching yourself too far they went from being the favorites from winning the division to wild card bounced by the royals so the fact of the matter is i mean look the, you can you can you can win both ways i mean there's risk either way there's risk staying pat and there's risk going in you know at the end of the day you you just kind of have to hope a little bit and then and, and, you know it's not an exact science yeah definitely uh i i think that's kind of also where they're coming from they're they're more inclined to uh keep the band together than kind of sacrifice or, or trim some people off to, to in hopes of making a big splash but we will see uh i'm sure the the rumor mill the hot stove will, will be heating up as we approach july 31st 
Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to well, Chris, just real quick, did you have a chance to watch that All Star game? I unfortunately did not have a chance to watch it. Yeah, um, I, I wanted to, but I just did not have a chance to. Yeah, I uh, I watched the beginning, which is pretty much all that you need to watch. After the fourth inning, they're done with the scoring, and it was just kind of they're going through the motions. Uh, Linder had a chance with bases loaded, unfortunately did not come through. Got kind of uh, fell victim to a really good play in the infield, I think, or, or the outfield. Um, but other than that, it was nice to see Kluber on the mound and you know eventually getting the win. Uh, I, I do like uh, watching the All Star game. Uh, but after that fourth inning was did get a little boring. Yeah, at least that's what I've heard. Um, I, I'm just glad that uh, Corey Kluber gets the win. And, uh, hey, the Indians have clinched home field in the World Series. Now 15 other teams have too. But, yeah. hey, game one would be in Cleveland well, it, if they make it all the and way. And they can absolutely thank the Royals for doing that. Uh, all offensive production came from uh, <laughs> Hosmer and uh, Salvador Perez. So, uh, you know, uh, appear doing them a favor. And how about the AL Central giving some love? I mean, the first two pitchers, Chris Sale and Corey Kluber, and then the Royals doing all the work offensively. Way to rep the division, boys. Yeah, yeah, it was a good night. It was a good night for them, for sure. All righty, man. So switching gears here, um, Cleveland Cavaliers, Bob. Uh, another week, another podcast, and still J.R. Smith and LeBron James are on the market. Are you worried yet? Uh, I'm not worried about LeBron. You know, it... it obviously he everyone is assuming that he's coming back and i think i just read today that like he has given them official word that he will resign has intended to resign um apparently that wasn't 100 percent clear until today where he he gave it to them in writing or whatever uh jr smith is more concerning with the reports coming out that uh, he's expecting 15 million dollars uh, per year which would be a 10 million dollar raise uh, the, the, the Cavs paid what, like $50 million in luxury taxes last year. So paying, giving a guy a $10 million raise in that cap restriction when they've already brought on a dude like, uh, Mike Dunleavy, uh, have added Chris Anderson. I know they, they gave away Sasha Khan for that, but, uh, you know, Dan Gilbert, uh, is absolutely going to have to put his money where his mouth is for sure. Well, the good news is the cap went up by about $20 million, so that'll help a little bit. But the bad news is, you know, this this is the gamble the Cavs took. You know, last year they had a lot of leverage on J.R. Smith. He opted out ill-advisedly, signed that deal for less than what he would have gotten had he opted in. This is the price you pay for playing on a one-year deal if you're the team because J.R. Smith has outperformed that contract and the cap went up. The market is different. Iman Shumpert, by comparison, signed a four-year, $40 million deal last year and everyone thought that was a steal. Well, now that sets the market for J.R. Smith this year because there's no question that J.R. Smith is better than Shumpert. He's going to want at least more than Shumpert and $15 million on this market for J.R. Smith is about what the rate is. That's just the reality of the situation. That's, of course, $15 million per year, not over the course of two or three years. Um, so, you know, I, I had said, uh, I had kind of spitballed it. I said, are they willing to pay three years $36 million? I guess the question is more like three years $45 million. Honestly, you're not going to do better than J.R. Smith because you're so capped out. The only way you can really 
improve this team is by keeping the status quo because if J.R. Smith leaves, I, I'm not confident in Mike Dunleavy to stay healthy enough to replace J.R. Smith. I want Smith back on this team. He was so valuable. He fits so well with what this team tries to do. Um, I, I think that the Cavs absolutely need to pay him. And J.R. Smith knows he has the leverage. He knows that if he leaves, the Cavs can't just go out and sign another J.R. Smith. Uh, they're, they're in a tough spot to try and improve this roster. So, um, you know, I think the Cavs are going to have to pay up. Yeah, I think I think uh, they're not really going to be able to talk him down a whole lot, uh, maybe a little bit. Um, Mike Dun- Dunleavy is, is absolutely not an acceptable replacement for J.R. Smith. Uh, too slow, too unathletic, more of a small forward. You could even moonlight at power forward uh, if you wanted to re- go really small. Uh, the the only suitable replacement on the roster for J.R. Smith is Imam Shumpert. Uh and I, I don't think I, I'm very confident with him being the starter, even though I, I do value his contributions on the bench. Uh, yeah, J.R. Smith is going to get paid. Uh, hopefully it's with the Cavs. Otherwise, uh, there are still some teams that are below the spending ceiling. So, you know, there are some teams out there that have close to $20, $25 million in cap space and are, are mandated to spend at least a little bit of that still. Um, yeah, the leverage is all in J.R. Smith's hands. It's not like the standoff that we saw last year with Tristan Thompson where it was more on the Cavs' hands. Um, you know, J.R. Smith is certainly going to get paid, and I really hope, I think it would be a huge loss if it's not the Cavs that are paying him. Yeah, and I agree. Iman Shumpert, as athletic as he is, he is not the shooter J.R. Smith is. He's adequate from three-point range. Um, last year uh, it was a down year for him with the injuries hopefully he can return to 2015 form and not 2016 form I I think either way regardless of Smith is on this team but the Cavs absolutely need J.R. Smith I think he's their fourth most him and Tristan Thompson uh, are probably tied for fourth most important player on the team I know that's you know stating the obvious because they're the other two starters, but it's true. I mean, you know, you need the guy up front to rebound, and you need the catch and shoot guy who isn't just a spot up shooter. He can play defense. You know, he's improved that part of his game this year. And man, the guy can take the ball to the rack. He's a good all around player. He's not just a guy like Kyle Korver who needs to stay there and shoot. You know, he can do some other things, and he's a very, very, very valuable piece. Uh, especially playing with such three three really strong passers, uh, I, I think that that the Cavs absolutely need to sign him up. Yeah, definitely. Um, in a lesser free agent move, Sasha Khan traded to the 76ers to clear space to bring in Birdman Anderson. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, it's a solid depth move. Birdman was a teammate of LeBron in Miami. He obviously likes him. I think he's inadequate. Uh, emergency center and, and I think he'll do a little bit more I mean he can you know you can play him a little bit when you're facing a bigger team look this, this move isn't going to move the needle but it's another solid veteran signing that that you know that's all there is yeah he's a big body that that can bang a little bit down low uh throw some elbows block some shots uh basically a, a very inexpensive version of what Timothy Mazga was relegated to do last year Oh, certainly. <laughs> Anything's uh, inexpensive. Oh, my God. I'm still not over Mozgov's contract. Kudos to him, man. Kudos to it's him. A, it's a great time to be a, to be an NBA player. An, NBA, an unrestricted. A seven-foot NBA an player. unrestricted free agent, I should say. If you're a first-round draft pick, you are screwed. But anybody else is having a great time. Well, right now, but in a couple of years when that cap goes up, maybe even further, 
And when the new CBA comes out, who knows? Who knows? There might be some more favorable contracts out there. But um, while we are talking cabs, uh, we have to give a uh, melancholy goodbye to Nate Thurman, a Hall of Famer, born in Akron, uh, died on Saturday. He was 74 years old after a battle with leukemia. While he only played one season with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was part of that miracle at Richfield team. And Bob, get ready. Brace yourself. One of five quadruple doubles in NBA history in his debut with the Chicago Bulls on October 18th, 1974. That was also the first official one, but but keep in mind that blocks wasn't an official statistic for a while, so uh, there could be more back in, you know, Wilton Bill Russell's day. And in fact, I'm willing to bet there were because those two are so great. But let me just put this in perspective, his quadruple double, 22 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 blocks. Bob, <laughs> that is one heck of a stat line. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's another one for you. Third in NBA history with 42 rebounds in one game. <laughs> that is one heck yeah, of a play. Very interesting. Only one year with the Cavs, obviously from Akron, went to Bowling Green, but his number is retired with Cleveland as well as with the San Francisco Warriors, now known as the Golden State Warriors. Um you know, in just one year, the Cavs retired him. That you know gives you kind of the mindset of how loved he was in Ohio, how great a basketball he player player he was, and also a little bit of just how dire the Cavs were, uh, basically until yeah. the early '90s. <laughs> yeah, the Cavs were not a model franchise back then, to say the least. That's not to say Thurman wasn't deserving of his number retired. I do think it was the fact that he was born in Akron that he did contribute to that miracle at Richfield team and he was such an NBA great I mean he's a hall of famer uh, but certainly his big years were with the Golden State Warriors that's where he played the most he lived in San Francisco participated in their parade last year and then they got to see his hometown team win it again this year so kind of a cool story for him the team he played for the most followed by his uh, hometown team growing up winning the two well I don't know the Cavs probably weren't in existence when he was growing up but his hometown team nonetheless uh you know winning uh titles in back-to-back years yeah definitely um and not just that playing in the finals together in back-to-back years yeah that's kind of crazy and probably really exciting for him uh sorry to see him go thoughts go out to everyone uh you know his friends and family and all that all right i'm gonna while we're talking about quadruple doubles there have only been five in nba history by four different players bob only one of these four did it with steals with 10 steals he had 20 points 11 rebounds 10 assists and 10 steals you want to take a guess at who it was i'm pretty sure the nba record for steals in a game is only 11 um so was it uh mm, no no i i can't guess who is it it was in february of 1986 alvin robertson yeah i would he's the only guy to do it with steals would not have guessed that one but uh, that's impressive uh as well uh probably more impressive than the black shots uh i agree with that and uh hakeem olajuwon did it twice in the same year actually in the same month march 3rd 1990 and march 29 1990 uh, obviously he did it with blocks as well and then david robinson in february of 94 had the uh, fifth quadruple double and and the last one since 94 it's been 22 years so uh a very very rare achievement that uh quadruple double and nate thurman was the first one to do it again remember 
blocks wasn't an official stat until like the early 70s so there, there could be more in the Wilt Chamberlain Bill Russell days but that's tough to do yeah definitely um you know I I really only think there's one guy in the NBA right now that is a potential quadruple double and that's Hassan Whiteside other than that uh you know in the entire league uh, this generation there isn't somebody that that is has potential to do that so it is a very rare feat uh, that does not happen uh every so often Chris Chris Paul almost did it uh, a couple years back and Ricky Rubio actually had a triple double with only eight points he had the 10 st- I think he had oh no maybe he only had eight steals but he only had eight points <laughs> He had like a, a rebound assist double-double with eight points and eight steals or something like that. So Chris Paul and Ricky Rubio have both come really close. Interesting. I don't, I don't remember either of those, but that makes sense with both those guys. I remember the Chris Paul one because I actually was watching that game. I think it was when he was with New Orleans. The Ricky Rubio one came out of nowhere. I mean, he just had a great game. And it's just funny that even if he gets the steals, he still would have needed two more points. Yeah, that is really funny. <laughs> Wouldn't, wouldn't that have stunk if he had had a triple-double, assists, rebounds, steals, and doesn't get the points? Yeah, you would have probably had to start doing like some Ricky Davis moves to to get his points. <laughs> <laughs> Never do Ricky Davis moves. Never do Ricky Davis. Yeah, don't be like that, Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> All right, man. So we've got some Browns news coming out of uh, Brownstown here. Pretty significant one. Desmond Bryant will miss probably the 2016 season with a torn pectoral muscle in his contract year bob pretty significant loss for the browns defense yeah uh it is uh he's pretty versatile down down on that line has been productive i think you know the the browns did draft some some young guys to go on that line most notably carl nassib who uh by all accounts is having a good summer and is set to to get those reps in place of Desmond Bryant so that's the good news obviously this influx of youth and talent needs to get their reps so um, that's the the bright side of it but you know Desmond Bryant is kind of one of those lone bright spots on that front seven of the past couple years Uh, they'll definitely be missing him but uh, hopefully Carl Nassib can step in for him next man up hey man they drafted 14 players uh gotta start playing them so uh but no it's definitely it's not good to to have a a veteran like bryant miss the season especially when you're trying to break in some of these new players i I know i know they need their reps but but it does help if they have a veteran that they can learn to and learn from around in practice and and all those things and him not being there he he just won't be able to lead by example this year and it's not his fault it's just got injured so it it is unfortunate in in that regard yeah definitely but you know the the Browns are, are certainly looking all in on the future, so these guys got to step up the, the the people that they've invested in. Oh, certainly. I mean, this year is definitely the um, get the foundation set year. I, I don't think many people have uh, high expectations for this team, um, at, at least in regards of uh, contending. I, I think people just want to see these young guys develop and, and, and see some progress on the field uh, towards a, a larger goal a couple years down the road. Yeah, definitely. But this is not a Cleveland Browns preview, so no freebies here. Uh, Other news, Isaiah Crowell, Browns running back, um, sent out an ill-advised tweet, and and that's how I'll describe it because I I really don't want to, you know, go into it. It was a a graphic tweet um, 
you know, really kind of derogatory p- towards p- police officers uh, after what happened in Louisiana and Minnesota. Uh, he has since apologized and has pledged, pledged his first game check uh, to a um, uh, fallen officers fund in Dallas, which will be worth about $35,000. But Bob, did you get a chance to, to see this tweet? And, and, and I mean, it, it's such an it's such an unfortunate situation for Crowell. Um, I mean, he put himself in it, but I mean, you got to learn to control yourself a little bit better. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Especially for a guy like Crowell who did have such character issues, uh, coming out of college has kind of fought that image. He went undrafted when he probably had talent to, to be drafted. You know, people were so scared of him and he's been really clean since then, you know, playing with the Browns. So it's unfortunate that this popped up. Uh, first off, I I do want to applaud the, uh, Cleveland police chief for calling out Crowell for the first apology. Uh, you know, you see so many times athletes, celebrities get caught in something really terrible and they just issue a cookie cutter apology and everyone just goes their way and, and ignores the fact that it was probably not even written by them at all. You know, he called him out and, and said, absolutely not. We're not going to work those games if you don't apologize in a much better way. And now we have the much better apology where he's donating funds to Dallas and all that, which I think is great. Um, yeah, it, it, it is unfortunate. Um, I don't mean to make light of the situation, but I did see an article that had a tag that said Brown star player getting in trouble for a tweet. And I was like, is Isaiah Crowell really our star player? That's not, that is not a good thing. But um, yeah, jokes aside, very unfortunate. Um, I'm glad that the, the the police uh, have accepted the apology. I'm glad that Crowell has you know put forth a much better heartfelt apology out there, and hopefully we can just kind of move on and Crowell can grow from that. Yeah, and let's also not make light of the situations that happened in Louisiana and Minnesota. The, the you know racial tension in this country is at an all time high, and uh, there's certainly a lot of angst on both sides, and 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 we can only hope that long term uh things start to come together and you know isaiah crowell i understand there, there's probably some frustration there but there are better ways to get involved with that kind of a movement look at what lebron james carmelo anthony chris paul and Dwayne wade recently did at the espies you know there, there are better ways to get your voice out there to be a leader in in this kind of you know bringing racial boundary breaking racial brown boundaries and, and bringing everyone closer together uh, because it's, it is a very serious issue uh, but I actually think Crowell's tweet does more to against that than it does to help it so I think in the future um, you know if he wants to step up and try to be a voice on this issue um, certainly try to do so in a way that is more positive and that will have a more far-reaching impact I think this tweet uh was the reverse of that and it certainly um was something that uh you know you, you just can't do when you're a public figure yeah definitely hopefully uh all parties involved can kind of learn and grow from the instance with crowell and, and come together on a much larger scale with everything that's going on for sure uh kind of a crazy time that that's going on right now certainly i, I like i said I, I just hope that um everything that happens up in cleveland you know it just it's smooth. There's going to be protests. There's going to be a lot of things going on, but I just hope that there's nothing, nothing serious. Cause, cause again, it's, it's a very, uh, tense time in our country. And, uh, 
yeah, we just hope that things can get better before they get worse. But moving on to some more lighter news, uh, Anthony Bennett, a former number one overall pick with the Cleveland Cavaliers, as we all know, has signed with the Nets. This is his fourth team in three years, Bob. I mean, the guy in this day and age of the NBA, of this small ball NBA, has the the physical makeup to thrive in this kind of a set. Isn't it kind of a head scratcher that he hasn't made any impact on the court? Yeah, uh, it it's pretty shocking. I think he's going down as probably the worst draft and first round draft pick in NBA history. You know, right up there with uh, Kwame Brown and, and you know the other notables. Uh, One point five points per game last year with Toronto. Only fifteen games played. Uh, just really disappointing uh career and i feel for the guy uh because that i i kind of have a suspicion that most of the guys in that draft had they been drafted by cleveland that number one spot were pretty much set up and doomed to fail uh it was just a weak class i know you know oladipo you know survived that giannis survived that uh nerland's noel it has been a serviceable big man for the sixers in that draft class but you know, Bennett was pretty much doomed to fail by being that first round draft pick, you know, all the expectations and the weight of it, especially going to Cleveland, which is still at that point trying to find replacements for LeBron James and, and trying to find a, a good number two with, with Kyrie Irving. So it's, it is really sad. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of feel for the guy. I, kinda, I, I feel pretty bad. I, I feel for him too. And you're right. That, that draft class was weak. Um, you know the Cavs could have I mean you say shoulda coulda woulda but my my friend at work and I were actually talking about this let's keep in mind that you know Andrew Wiggins was packaged with Anthony Bennett for Kevin Love Uh, even if they make another draft pick in that spot probably the same result I mean I can't see them giving up the the um, Timberwolves giving up Kevin Love straight up just for a rookie who's unproven even if he is the number one overall pick in Andrew Wiggins so look I I don't think that draft would have made much of a difference for the Cleveland Cavaliers in hindsight thanks to LeBron coming back but it is very disappointing because by all accounts Bennett seems like a solid guy and and he he seems to have the makeup to thrive in this kind of smaller NBA I, I don't know what's was wrong I mean that one summer league he had a solid summer league I know it's only summer league but I feel like there's something there. He's just got to whatever. He just needs the right situation. Someone just needs to put him in the right situation because I feel like there's talent there. It's just not being, it's just not being harnessed or developed or utilized, or, and it's on probably mostly him. But I, I also don't think he's been in a good situation yet. Yeah, I mean, all reports. You know, in that first summer, uh, working through the summer league and in his first season with Cleveland, everyone expected him to be that kind of stretch for, you know, he was a six, eight power forward that, that had athleticism, had a jump shot. It just hasn't worked out. And you kind of have to think that it is mental at this point, uh, everything that's going on. Uh, you know, we just, we talked about Drew Pomerantz earlier, you know, some guys just aren't built to handle that status of being uh for lack of a better word the savior of the franchise and that's certainly what happens when you're the number one overall pick in the nba draft everyone expects you to be the next lebron or or kevin durant and you know sometimes you get anthony bennett and that's the best of the class 
or supposed best of the class. Um, it, it, I, I do just kind of feel bad for him. Me too. But a uh, little bit of update, uh, Draymond Green saga. Um, we've now since learned that he has struck a Michigan State football player. At least that's what he did. You know, last podcast, things were still coming out. We weren't quite sure of all the details. Well, senior cornerback Jermaine Edmondson has been uh, has received his release to transfer from the school. Um, he was a corner for the Michigan State football team, and he was the at the receiving end of Draymond Green's strike. Uh, controversy over conflicting reports over whether or not it was a slap or a punch. Um, so something happened, and now Michigan State is uh, possibly losing a corner. So talk about an alum from the school having an adverse effect on one of the school's uh, you know players. Bob, I mean this 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 story just keeps getting. A little weird to tell you the truth. I mean, it's just odd that that a Michigan State alum would have such an adversary, such a confrontation with with a current student. Yeah, it, it's a, a silly story. Um, th- it's interesting that as a Michigan State quarterback, cornerback, um, he was a backup. He's transferring now. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's kind of sad that this is is a story um but by all accounts the the hearing will be held before the olympics and and like i said when we first heard that he was arrested you know that's what uh i'd be most concerned about is if i was draymond is if you know something actually does come of this uh, in in terms of a ruling that that causes him not to go to rio de janeiro you just wrote about a a blog about how paul Millsap should have had a spot on the team he might want to sit by his phone just in case well uh you would think that but Paul Millsap was not even named to the 30-man roster pool, so he's not even eligible to be available should they need a replacement, which is insane to me. Not cool, man. Absolutely ridiculous. That's insane to me, too, because I read I read your blog, and, and you should, too, all you listeners out there. It's a very good blog. That's ridiculous. I mean, Paul Millsap is certainly worthy of uh, at least being in the pool. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. He's been associated with Team USA Basketball before and has been named to rosters. But, you know, in January, they released that list of 30, and, and he was not on it. And I was kind of upset at that point, and I'm really upset now that we got Harrison Barnes as that 12th man. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> later, you know, when we get to the Olympics and stuff. If you want to read uh, Bob's thoughts on Harrison Barnes, his blog's right up there on FamilyRoadSports.com. Um, so check it out. And uh, I will also have a blog up there later in the week, so uh, you can come back for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much our podcast this week. We packed in all three major Cleveland sports, talked about some other things, and, uh, you know, fun times just like every week here on Clee Talk. Please come back next week. We will have another episode for you. Until then, you can check out FenleyRoadSports.com, read our wonderful blogs, list of past episodes, and if you like them all, just you click on that little iTunes icon and subscribe to our podcast. We appreciate your support. You can also follow us on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports, Instagram, Fenley Road Sports. And if you just want to go in through iTunes, just type in Fenley Road Sports, click Clee Talk, and you'll get to listen to all of our podcasts right up there. We appreciate your support. Hope you come back next week. And until then, go try. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.